Hey, Startup Nation. First off, thank you so much for listening to the Startup Life. We really hope you're getting a great value from our amazing guests that we bring onto the show. And that's really what this is all about. However, before t- you hear today's content with Rashad Tabakawala, I wanted to set the expectation. At the time of recording, there was some inclement weather that really affected the audio. And so for about the first 15 to 17 minutes, the audio is a little bit weird on Rashad's end. You can understand what he's saying, and so you can still get that amazing value, but the audio may be a bit distracting as you're listening to it. But after that 15 to 17 minute mark, the audio is just fine, and we have an amazing conversation moving forward. So I just wanted to come on really quickly to set that expectation, so that way you won't be caught off guard. And here's our conversation with Rashad Tabakawala, author of Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. Enjoy. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, that's G on the ones and twos, and this is The Startup Life, the show for career professionals and entrepreneurs. And you know, G, I really love that Talk Memphis show, I mean, the Talk Memphis music, (laughs) because it's very fitting for today's episode, right? You know, we're going to talk about data and analytics and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, Let me ask you this real quick, man. Like, when you hear about analytics and data, what's the first thing that comes to your mind, man? Uh, analytics, being in the radio business, so social media is usually the first thing gotcha. I think of, but uh, it's computers is kind Understood. of... Understood. Yeah. Understood. Okay. Okay. But it, but it kind of loses a little bit of humanity there, right? You don't yeah. think humanity, right? Which is why I love we have today's guest on the show uh, for sure. He is the chief growth officer at Publicis Group. He was named by Bloomberg Business as one of the top business leaders in Time Magazine as a top five marketing innovator. He has been a keynote speaker at events around the world for major firms as Procter & Gamble, Heineken, Delta, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Twitter. And he is the author of Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. He is the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Rashad Tabakawala. How's it going, Rashad? Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? Absolutely. All righty, let's get it. So, Rashad, first things first, if you would, sir, just kind of give us an origin story in your background and how you got up to this point in your career. Sure. I grew up in India. Okay. And then I came to the University of Chicago for an MBA. Okay. And then I joined a company called Leo Burnett, mm-hmm. which is an advertising agency. For sure. And 37 years later, I'm still in the same building. Okay. Okay. But the last time my business card said Leo Burnett was 1995. So for the last uh, 25 years, I've been doing lots of other things which include launching some of the first digital agencies, helping media companies spin off. Okay. And for the last five, six years, I played a corporate role as both a strategy officer and a growth officer for a company called Publicis, which has 80,000 employees worldwide. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Real quickly, so let me ask you this, Rashad, because you know one of the things that I love about your, your book and um, no, I've seen a few of your uh, your keynotes and stuff like that. You do a great job of teaching with like bullet points and takeaways. Ha- have you ever been a teacher or anything like that? Because I think you do a great job of not only relaying your content, but also making sure that it sticks with those with that bullet point type of style. Can you share with us a little bit about that? We'll go ahead and take a break really quick yeah. here in the show, and we'll 
Okay. Uh, Rashad, we'll call you right back. Startup Nation, we tell you all the time that no one does anything great on their own. That includes starting a business or a nonprofit or even becoming a thought leader or an influencer. My point is that you need a team to do it successfully and responsibly. And that is why you should contact DR and Associates. Danielle and her team provide branding solutions along with digital and social media marketing that provide tangible results you are looking for. No matter if you are a Fortune 500 company or an author looking to make an impact, DR and Associates needs to be part of your team. They are one of the few firms whose leadership has been recognized by Google, which is proof of concept that they are very good at what they do. Contact DR and Associates today to grow your online presence. The number is 615-933-3681, or you can visit their website at drandassociates.com. Also, make sure you follow their Facebook page as well. DR and Associates, providing real clients with real results. This episode of The Startup Life is also brought to you by our amazing partners at SCORE Memphis. Look, entrepreneurship is hard, and there is nothing like a mentor that can help you navigate those waters. And that is what SCORE provides. SCORE mentors provide years of expertise and have resources that will have you flourishing and profitable on your path to entrepreneurship. If you are in need of a mentor, give SCORE a call. The number is 901-544-3588 or go to their website at memphis.score.org. The link is there in the show notes. Welcome back to the startup life. We had a little, you know, issue with our connection there, but I think we got it fixed. Rashad, are you back on the show? I'm back on the show. There we go. All right. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. You sound amazing now. So I just wanted to ask you this really quickly before we move forward. I was asking you about, you know, your teaching style, the way you relay your content and stuff like that. You you have this style of like kind of bullet putting your points. Uh, and, and it makes it for the the listener or the reader to really kind of grab hold. I noticed it in your keynotes, and I noticed it in your book as well that we're going to kind of get into. I just was curious if you ever been a teacher uh, in that regard as well. I've not been a teacher, but okay. as I've uh, sort of progressed in my career, okay, I've had to uh, you know help people. So that's what I figured out how to simplify without dumbing down. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And Startup Nation, the, the book is Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. And I read this book from cover to cover, and it's an amazing book. And there's a few uh, phrases that really stick out when it comes to the book. And one, a few of those are um, spreadsheet and story, math and meaning. But one of the ones that really stuck out for me is balance. Now, Rashad, when you wrote this book, I want to know what was the impetus for writing this book? Were you uh, was you something seeing something in the business marketplace that was missing? Did you see we were kind of straying away too far in the world of data and analytics? Kind of share with us a little bit about that. Yes. So over the years, I especially the last five, I began to notice that most businesses were no longer balancing what I call the spreadsheet, which okay. is the data of the business, mm-hmm. with the story, which is the talent and meaning and purpose of the business. Because modern companies like Facebook and Amazon and Microsoft were highly data-driven and their stock market values were running up, mm-hmm. and people were beginning to talk about data being the new oil, uh, companies were starting to become very math-driven and very data-driven. And as someone who both studied these companies as well as who understood math, since my undergraduate degree is advanced mathematics, and I know a lot about data, 
I began to realize that there were three issues. First is many of these companies were losing um, a sense of responsibility that they were no longer just working just for consumers, but they should think about the society that they were working in. So you could see the negative effects of Uber and of Facebook. Mm -hmm. The second is companies that actually tilted towards the spreadsheet were basically losing their talent, interest in working in those businesses. Because in many cases, the machine had replaced the person. But as importantly, the companies that were most successful were really the ones that balanced both, which was the spreadsheet and the story. So think about, for instance, a Costco versus a Walmart or a Southwest versus a United. Right. So that's why I decided that, hey, people were singing a song that was a siren song that would lead them to a rock and that I need to speak up. Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing all of that. You know, I, I really, you know, enjoyed a lot of the stories and anecdotes that you had. You know, uh, you, you tell one about Jeff Bezos when he shares with us that, you know, uh, if the data and the story are contradicting each other, believe the story. Right. Because that really tells the, the whole meaning of like a customer's, say, experience with Amazon or something like that. But you also share a story about in the early days of, of uh of of Leo or no, of cable TV, where you were trying to uh, share with your supervisors that you know we should be uh, marketing in cable TV. They didn't really kind of get it, but you said that you know you you, and you had all the data. You were a mathematician. You had all the data. You had all the analytics, but it was the story that kind of really convinced them. Kind of share with us that story a little bit. Sure. So what basically happened is that. Those years, these were about 30 years ago, mm -hmm. that our management didn't believe that cable was going to be something important. And what I began to realize that just showing them the numbers was not important. And so instead, I showed them two different stories or shared two different stories. One was the fact that if, you, if we added cable, we could find ways to reduce prices of television which is what they understood. But the second is we could remain relevant to with our clients who might in the future go away to other companies who are more modern. So I basically, instead of talking about the numbers, uh, I basically said, hey, we can keep our jobs and do a better job for our clients. Mm -hmm. And that was the story that got them versus just the numbers that, that cable was increasing in penetration. So it's much more about what was good for them and for the clients than for the fact that there was this new technology coming. Right. Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. Like I said, I, I really love that story because, you know, it, it really highlights something else. And I actually want to lead with a follow up question, if I would, because, you know, Rashawn, you have this knack, you know, uh, you know, and you tell these stories in the book from. Uh, the one about, you know, uh, advertising and cable television, but also you, you gave a keynote about speaking to to marketers about what was coming down the pike. And not many of them listened to you, but like years down the road, they came back to you and said, you know what? We should have listened to you. And there's multiple stories where you kind of do this. Now, look, I tell Startup Nation all the time that you can't really predict the future. But if you're paying attention to everything around you, 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 you is, is far often you won't get caught off guard. How do you how did you develop that knack of like, you know, kind of not necessarily seeing the future, but also kind of seeing what's coming down the pipeline? What are some of those things that you look for to kind of predict this is what's going to happen? 
So there are three things that I do. The first is I pay attention to my own discomfort. Okay. So when there are things that are bothering me, I ask myself why. And usually a lot of people basically don't sort of acknowledge that things are bothering them. And this might be, hey, business isn't doing so well. There's this company I've not heard of, et cetera. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I pay a lot of attention to uh, people's behaviors. And I've always believed that people want to be God. Mm. They want to have power over time. They want to have power over distance. And they ideally want to have like superpowers. So whenever a company offers that, I pay attention because people will resonate with those human beliefs. And the third is I spend at least 15 to 20% of my time meeting with new companies and startups. Right. Because I believe the future will come from the slime and not the heavens. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Once again, we're talking to Rashad Tabakawala, author of Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. Now, Rashad, you, one of the points you made in the book, which I thought was fascinating, I, I, I want you know, for you to kind of give some clarification for our listeners here, because you say that, you know, you should ask questions data can answer and not ask data-driven questions. And we work in education a lot, Rashad, here with our company at Alice LLC. And we have to have this conversation with educators all the time. Can you differentiate the, the difference between the two and what, that, and what that phrase ultimately means, if you would? So one of the key things is that you should re- recognize that just because there is data that doesn't mean that the data has the answers. Right. Um, and so I basically always say is, are you asking the right questions? Because if you're asking the right questions, that's half the answer. And sometimes the answer to the questions will have data-driven answers, and sometimes it won't. Mm-hmm. But but constantly basically looking and saying, Give me, you know, asking questions for which there is a data answer doesn't mean just because you've got a data answer that it's the right answer. Gotcha. And and a big part I think we're having now is a crisis of leadership because leaders no longer can inspire and lead, so they read spreadsheets. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. G, let me ask you something real quick, man. Like when you were in school, right? Did you feel mm-hmm. like you was getting tested up the wazoo, like test after test after test after test? All the time. Yeah. And, and so all and, the time. Right. And so that's why I was curious to ask him. And that's why I wanted Rashad on the show, because like, look, we always have like, you know, students and teachers or we have students rather who are always taking like they got star test. They got, you know, this test, that test, ACT, you know, end of year test, state test and whatever the case may be. And we're collecting all this data. But a lot of times you know, like I said, you know, in Rashad's book, the data doesn't tell the entire story. Right. And so that's why I really wanted Rashad on the show. So I appreciate you sharing uh, all of that for sure. Now, let me ask you this, because, you know, we are in an age, Rashad, that you you know very well that, you know, everybody wants to do remote work, work from home, things of that nature. Uh, you know, and a lot of businesses say, you know what, we weren't on board at first, but now maybe it's a good idea. We can save, you know, have these savings and this, that, and the other peace of mind for our uh, employees and things of that nature. But you say that remote work, while it has its benefits, there's some drawbacks as well as uh, as regards to your book. Kind of share some of those drawbacks. Sure. So 
You know, I sort of describe working in two different environments. The environment of 30 years ago in the same building and an environment today. And today we have open seating, remote work, all of those things. There are significant benefits to that, both sure. to the individual in the fact that you can uh, you can get more people working for you because they may be you know um, men or women looking after their parents or looking after children who can't come into work or right. people who can't travel. Um, you save time, you know, you save all kinds of stuff. So that's right. number one. Mm-hmm. And the other benefit which exists is for the companies in that they can reduce real estate costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are two or three significant disadvantages which can be offset, but we have to understand that these disadvantages exist. So the first one, to a great extent, is a breakdown in communication because over screens and over remote, you tend to basically not be able to communicate as much as you can communicate when you actually talk with a person. Right. One is primarily because either the screen makes the other person feel less like a person, or you can't actually read things like tone of voice, um, you know, gestures, a whole bunch of other things. That's number one. Right. The second one, to a great extent, is it actually, you know, like for instance, open seating decreases uh, interaction between people versus increasing interaction. Mm. Because what we all do is we want our own silence and space, so we all put on headphones. And as a result, the number of emails that go into an organization which goes into open seating is more than when it was closed seating. Because in effect, even the person sitting next to you has got a headphone. So you don't walk into their office, you have to text them because they aren't there to listen. So a big part of what I sort of suggest is find ways to have more meetings from time to time with people so you can get to understand and get to know them. And also recognize that often many of these things actually encroach upon your time because you can actually now come into a meeting from anywhere. Mm -hmm. More people are invited into meetings when they shouldn't be there. And in fact, you have more meetings, less focus, and more distraction. And there are ways to obviously offset that, but that's why I say that uh, the chapter is called Managing the Darker Side of Brighter Screens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. Now, you bring up an interesting point. I want to ask a follow-up really quickly because you talked about, you know, uh, having more meetings and stuff like that. And I can already see somebody in Startup Nation like, look, I'm tired of the meetings that I have now. We have meetings on meetings. We have meeting about the meeting. We have a meeting before the meeting, the pre-meeting, the post-meeting and stuff like that. And, and so how do you how do you get around that part? Because like meetings have kind of become uh, in society a little bit as far as like, you know, maybe not necessarily a hindrance, but an annoyance almost uh the reason is it's not the problem of meetings okay it's the type of meetings we're fair having. enough fair enough so what i basically believe is most of the meetings we're having is built around three pieces of stuff that makes no sense okay so number one is we have meetings where we all gather around a screen to look at numbers mm. so i call it the modern fireplace <laughs> we put up a screen we all gather around and look at numbers that's not a meeting it's basically looking at a television screen with numbers. Fair enough. Okay, that's, that's number one. that's not entertaining for sure. It, uh, yeah, and it's <laughs> not entertaining at all, right? right. That's, that's, that's number one problem. Right. Number two is we basically go to meetings saying what value can we extract versus going to meetings with what value can we add. Mm. Right? Right. And the third 
is in addition to basically either looking at a screen, we bring in a lot of interfaces and devices, and so we don't pay attention unless it's time for us to speak. And what I basically suggest is instead have different types of meetings, that all these things about looking at numbers and all of that, you shouldn't be having meetings. You know, you should, everyone should look at the numbers. They come in and have basically a discussion. So, for instance, at Amazon, they all read notes for about 30 minutes, and then they have a discussion. They don't basically look at screens. And, in fact, I believe PowerPoint is banned, right? Right. So what I suggest is have meetings where you don't have decks and don't have screens. People look at each other and have conversations. And those become meetings and go to meetings where you can add value versus extracting value. Because anytime you go to a meeting where someone has invited you because they think you can add value, it becomes a good meeting because the other person gains from your knowledge and you look cool and you build your brand. Mm. If you go to extract value, how do you even know? Because you never, you, you know, you talked about, we talked earlier about startups and people coming from nowhere. Absolutely. One of the reasons I discover these things is I go and have meetings when people ask me and I've never heard of these companies. Mm. If I basically said, well, what value can I extract and I haven't heard of the company, I wouldn't have the meeting. Right? Right. So we have to basically recognize it's not meetings. It's the type of meetings we're having. For sure. So eliminate the type of meetings where you actually don't have human connection and only go to meetings where you have human connection or you basically can add value versus extract value. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. And so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Rashad why he says that businesses should be funding art ventures in business. We're going to top that up a little bit. This is my name is Dominic Lawson and this is The Startup Life. Startup Nation, we tell you all the time that no one does anything great on their own. That includes starting a business or a nonprofit or even becoming a thought leader or an influencer. My point is that you need a team to do it successfully and responsibly. And that is why you should contact DR and Associates. Danielle and her team provide branding solutions along with digital and social media marketing that provide tangible results you are looking for. No matter if you are a Fortune 500 company or an author looking to make an impact, DR and Associates needs to be part of your team. They are one of the few firms whose leadership has been recognized by Google, which is proof of concept that they are very good at what they do. Contact DR and Associates today to grow your online presence. The number is 615-933-3681, or you can visit their website at drandassociates.com. Also, make sure you follow their Facebook page as well. DR and Associates, providing real clients with real results. This episode of The Startup Life is also brought to you by our amazing partners at SCORE Memphis. Look, entrepreneurship is hard, and there is nothing like a mentor that can help you navigate those waters. And that is what SCORE provides. SCORE mentors provide years of expertise and have resources that will have you flourishing and profitable on your path to entrepreneurship. If you are in need of a mentor, give SCORE a call. The number is 901-544-3588 or go to their website at memphis.score.org. The link is there in the show notes. Startup Nation, Kenda and I, along with our daughter Zoe, have this thing called Target Fridays if she's had a good week at school. We stopped by the snack bar for popcorn and mermaid ices. Startup Nation, don't judge me until you've tried them. Those ices are really good. Anyways, we then head over to the toy section so my daughter can add to her LOL doll collection. My daughter is a pretty good student, so you can imagine that we have spent a small fortune on LOL dolls. However, 
I can take solace in the fact that Target makes it affordable to buy those LOL dolls and anything else we need as a family. That's because Target believes you deserve quality at an affordable price. And when you're entrepreneurs like us, that's extremely important. But great deals and quality products are not exclusive to the brick-and-mortar version of the retail store. Target.com has even more exclusive deals that you can appreciate. And when you spend over $35, shipping is free. And I know we all love free shipping. We love to purchase the amazing kids' clothes for Zoe from the exclusive to Target Cat and Jack line when we go online. So the next time you listen to the show and you are reminded that you need something for your home, Start your Target journey with the link in our show notes, where you can expect more and pay less. All right, welcome back to The Startup Life with my guest, Rashad Tabakawala, the author of Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. Before we move forward, Rashad, I want to ask you this because, and I'm going to jump the gun here because I always ask my entrepreneurs and my business leaders what their superpower is towards the end of the show, but you in your last uh, answer kind of highlighted, I want to share that with Startup Nation because you have a, a unique knack for you have your logic and you have your theory and you have, you know, the thing that you believe, but you also are willing to challenge your own thoughts, your own logic, your own theories, your own beliefs, you know, and make sure that you have a well-rounded, uh, you know, uh, perspective on something. Kind of share with Startup Nation, my small business owners in particularly, why that's important when you're growing a small business uh, or kind of engaged in growing your career. Uh, the One of the key things I ask is you should be able to build a case for the exact opposite of what you believe. Right. So if you cannot build a case for the opposite of what you would like to do or for your brand, you will unlikely, you are going to have problems succeeding mm-hmm. because in effect, A, you are not going to be actually testing your idea against reality because every entrepreneur and innovator has a dream has imagination and hope. Absolutely. And that's what drives many of us, right? For sure. On the other hand, we have to go out there into the real world, and therefore we have to sort of understand what can potentially stop us. And therefore, building a case for the opposite of what we believe helps us, A, sell better, because we understand when the person doesn't want to buy, why they don't want to buy, right? Mm -hmm. And B, it helps us improve our product or service because we are building a case for why it may not work. So in effect, I always tell people, tell me why the exact opposite of what you believe is true. And if they say we have no clue or there's no way that's true, I'll say that you haven't really battle tested your idea. You're just basically going into the marketplace, you know, naked. Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. And when you were talking about imagination and innovation, I'm glad you brought that up because that leads segues greatly into my next question, because you say that, you know, in the book, you know, part of restoring the, the soul of business is the arts and that companies should invest in, you know, part of their balance sheet or whatever to invest in, in encouraging their employees to go take in a play, go take in uh uh, the theater or uh, a, a concert or stuff like that, because you say that sparks something in employees, which ultimately benefits the companies. Kind of share a little bit about that, if you will, Rashad. Absolutely. So a lot of people who, obviously, a lot of your listeners are entrepreneurs. They're basically what I call innovation artists. Absolutely. And what I sort of discovered was, who do you think are the ultimate entrepreneurs are? They're basically artists, mm. people who start with a fresh canvas, they paint on it, 
or a writer with a blank sheet of paper or a stage artist or a dramatist who has to imagine things. And if you think about innovation as fresh, insightful connection, which is you connect dots in new ways, right. art basically allows you to, A, understand and frame things in new ways. It allows you to understand humanity and see in new ways. And most artists have basically come back often from failure, mm, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. And therefore, my whole thing is when people go to an offsite, which is good once in a while, People could have permanent offsites if you actually think about it. If each employee is given a certain budget, X hundred dollars a year, to basically become, to do it any way they want, whatever their particular artistic passions or passions are. Become a member of a museum, join a ballet company, you know, buy a collection of books, do something, and then come in and discuss it. Because in effect, not only will you be able to understand humanity, look outside, understand things, see things in new ways. But you could be then using some of those things to tell stories, to increase the way you sell, etc. So often, you know, I use pieces of film. We often use pieces of film. We use the quotes. All of that is really we're using the arts to sell right. in addition to grow ourselves. And therefore, my belief is that chapter is called, you know, uh, un- unleashing creativity by inserting poetry into the PowerPoint. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. You know, and with the, in that same vein, you know, you talk about how companies should allow for employees to, you know, uh, seek out those those passion projects within the company, right? Like you did in 1995 uh, with yep. online services and AOL and stuff like that, you know. Uh, and this is, you know, maybe due in large part to something that you said in the book. And I want to quote it here really quickly. Start Animation it says, quote, If you study the startups that disrupt industries, you'll often find that the big corporations being disrupted once employ the disruptor, end quote. And so, you know, with that being said, if I'm in my cubicle, I'm in Startup Nation, I'm in my cubicle, I'm in my nine to five job right now, and I have this passion project that I really think can spur my company forward, you know, how would I make that pitch to my superiors, my, my supervisor, my division head? So the way you, you you would do it, there are two ways of doing it. One, which is easier, which is if you're well thought of. So you're an employee who's highly thought of. You can basically go in and say, you would like to do this particular project, initially maybe 20% of your time. Right. Or you say, you know, I'd like to do this, and but do it to help the company. Because in, in fact, you know, as an entrepreneur, yes, you'll be giving up some upside. But on the other hand, in the early days, you continue to have the resources of a large company and a paycheck, which always helps. Right. Uh, so it's like being an entrepreneur. Absolutely. So if you're a well-regarded employee, as some of us were, or some people who worked with me were, I would basically help create stuff that I could keep that employee in the company. So I would keep the passion, and I'd say, look, if this is going to be a business, I might as well invest in the person who's going to build this business. And if it works, it'll be fantastic. If it doesn't work, the person will still be here, and they'll come back to my regular job. So I don't lose. On the downside, I don't lose the talent. On the upside, if there is an idea there, I get a share of it. I hear that. Right? right. So, but, so that's, that's one way which is going in. The other way, so what is if you're well-regarded, people actually build things around you. If, on the other hand, people basically say, who is this clown, right? They're not paying attention to any of our businesses, et cetera. Then you basically have a little bit more of difficulty, but you can still do it by basically explaining why what you're doing can be a benefit not only to you, but to the company. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. Thank right. You. So remember, when people are backing you, they're always backing you because of something that they will gain. Right. So either they will gain an upside financially or they will retain you as an employee or they will see something that they won't normally see. And often entrepreneurs forget because we are so busy you know, fighting the world that That's true. the world actually needs to benefit from what we're doing and mm. not only ourselves. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, G, really quickly, man, because in in the book, he talks about one of these examples. So get this, right? So these mm-hmm. two guys who uh, used to work at Amazon, right? They had an idea, but, you know, they weren't able to kind of vet that idea within Amazon, stuff like that. So they leave Amazon and create this company called Flipkart, right? Now it's like valued at like as of what? uh 2018 like 16 billion dollars man yeah. right you know and, and i think walmart took like a 77 percent equity position in it <laughs> you get what i'm saying so it's like i'm really glad that he said that like you know if you're out there and you're a division head or supervisor you know i, I think it's important for you startup nation that you allow for those passion projects to kind of spur innovation within the company because you're either going to pay for it now or, or pay for it later for sure. So, Rashad, I appreciate you sharing that for sure. Absolutely. And the other reason why it's so important is every entrepreneur and every company knows that sooner or later, your success is based on things that are outside of the startup person. Absolutely. And the two biggest ones, in addition to luck, is your ability to attract and retain world-class talent. Right. And by getting people to work on passion projects, you attract and retain and you signal to talent outside that it's a great place to work. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Because one of the things you also talked about, which I loved all your stories, and I really loved the one where you talked about how, you know, Gillette and Schick were kind of battling out for the razor, you know, space or whatever the case may be. But it was actually Harry's and Dollar Shave Club who are the disruptors. So it's like, once again, Startup Nation, there's all these these, you know, uh, these examples of, you know, people from outside that you never really expected being the disruptor. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. Uh, yeah, you know, one sure. of the things, one of the things that as, as you, as you, as you've been reading this, uh, mm-hmm. and you read the book, I sort of reinvented, I sort of reinvented what a book should be because I discovered that most nonfiction business books had one chapter repeated 12 times. Mm. <laughs> gotcha. Right? Right. And why people find this book particularly interesting is like a Spotify playlist. You can read any chapter in any order. That's true. But there are 12 different chapters that I de- that basically are self-standing, which basically are inclusive books. You know, like the ones you basically asked me, there's books on art. Right. books on basically, you know, managing screen time. There's Absolutely. books about math and meaning. And so what tends to basically happen is, a lot of people, large companies like Google and others who have had me speak, as well as small companies, they say these four or five topics are most interesting to us. That's what we want to do. So in effect, a big part of it is if you're a reader of my book, you can select which chapters make sense to you. And that's what I basically, that's why I start my book by saying time is the only thing we have, which is very true for entrepreneurs and startups. So why am I going to basically waste your time by basically writing the same chapter 12 times or forcing you to read stuff you don't want to read? For sure. For sure. And he's absolutely right, Startup Nation. We actually, if you're watching on the Facebook live stream, we have the book uh, here in studio with us that you can see. And once again, shout out to HarperCollins for sending us that book uh, because it's an amazing read for sure. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask why companies should actually work for the talent and not the other way around. My name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. Mm-hmm. 
Startup Nation, we tell you all the time that no one does anything great on their own. That includes starting a business or a nonprofit or even becoming a thought leader or an influencer. My point is that you need a team to do it successfully and responsibly. And that is why you should contact DR and Associates. Danielle and her team provide branding solutions along with digital and social media marketing that provide tangible results you are looking for. No matter if you are a Fortune 500 company or an author looking to make an impact, DR and Associates needs to be part of your team. They are one of the few firms whose leadership has been recognized by Google, which is proof of concept that they are very good at what they do. Contact DR and Associates today to grow your online presence. The number is 615-933-3681, or you can visit their website at drandassociates.com. Also, make sure you follow their Facebook page as well. DR and Associates, providing real clients with real results. This episode of The Startup Life is also brought to you by our amazing partners at SCORE Memphis. Look, entrepreneurship is hard, and there is nothing like a mentor that can help you navigate those waters. And that is what SCORE provides. SCORE mentors provide years of expertise and have resources that will have you flourishing and profitable on your path to entrepreneurship. If you are in need of a mentor, give SCORE a call. The number is 901-544-3588 or go to their website at memphis.score.org. The link is there in the show notes. Startup Nation, Kenda and I, along with our daughter Zoe, have this thing called Target Fridays if she's had a good week at school. We stopped by the snack bar for popcorn and mermaid ices. Startup Nation, don't judge me until you've tried them. Those ices are really good. Anyways, we then head over to the toy section so my daughter can add to her LOL doll collection. My daughter is a pretty good student, so you can imagine that we have spent a small fortune on LOL dolls. However, I can take solace in the fact that Target makes it affordable to buy those LOL dolls and anything else we need as a family. That's because Target believes you deserve quality at an affordable price. And when you're entrepreneurs like us, that's extremely important. But great deals and quality products are not exclusive to the brick-and-mortar version of the retail store. Target.com has even more exclusive deals that you can appreciate. And when you spend over $35, shipping is free. And I know we all love free shipping. We love to purchase the amazing kids' clothes for Zoe from the exclusive to Target Cat and Jack line when we go online. So the next time you listen to the show and you are reminded that you need something for your home, Start your target journey with the link in our show notes where you can expect more and pay less. Welcome back, Startup Nation, to The Startup Life with your host, Dominic Lawson. We have Rashad Tabakawala restoring the soul of business, wrapping up with him today on the show. So, Rashad, you have a chapter here that says, you know, recognize that talent doesn't work for companies, but rather companies work for talent. How is that even true? Well, the reason it is true is if we divide the talent landscape into two different industries. Okay. One is industries where there is a greater supply of talent than there is demand. So, for instance, if you want to be an Uber driver, mm-hmm. right? And then businesses, the other half, where there is shortage of talent relative to supply. So, for instance, in the world of data, in the world of uh, you know people who can look after patients and hospitals and all of those. So in those where there is a supply problem for talent and a more demand than supply, talent has the upper hand. And to a great extent, talent therefore joins companies which allow them to do a few things. Obvious ones are obviously, I want to join a company that will pay me a lot, potentially make me famous and give me power, right? That's a dream. 
Mm-hmm. Not everybody gets famous, lots of money or power. Right. But the other thing that people look for is give, let me join a company that allows me to grow both my skills and as a person, allows me to connect with other people and lets me feel good about the company that I'm working for, which is, does it have purpose or meaning? And because of that, I believe today that the best companies are competing for talent and therefore they are working to enable the growth purpose of their people. And through that, they actually win. So I've always basically said the reason why Costco has done better than Walmart or Starbucks has done better than Dunkin' or Southwest has done better than United, they tend to be in the same industry with some of the same rules, the same regulations. Right. What only differentiates them is the people, right? Mm, Interesting. Southwest people tend to be more friendly than the United people. The Southwest people actually think that they're working for a good company. They have only a 2% turnover rate. The United people basically hate their company usually, right? Right. And so the difference is Southwest looks after their people and they say, we are here as a resource to you. And United basically looks at its employees and says, you idiots, you have to work here. (laughs) Right. 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 And you see that again and again. And my basic belief is that companies that happen to have happy employees are companies that have innovation satisfied customers, and growth. So therefore, those companies work for their talent to attract, retain, and grow them versus the talent basically just being cogs in the company machine. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, of that same vein, where we talk about, you know, making sure that we, you know, uh, value talent and stuff like that, you have a point uh, in your book where you talk about the four different types of bad bosses, which is usually the people who make that talent leave the corporate, you know, the company or the corporation or wherever the case may be. And there's four archetypes that he talks about Startup Nation, and they are the narcissistic God, the micromanaging fiddler, the Oscar aspiring, which I thought was hilarious. And the double agent assassin. And so if you would, Rashad, kind of break those uh, those bad bosses archetypes down for me. And why are they of special concern in today's business uh, climate? So the reason that they're uh, so the the four. So, you know, very quickly, the, the five characteristics of good bosses, for instance, are good bosses tend to be capable. They tend to have integrity. They tend to inspire people. They have empathy, and they are vulnerable. Absolutely. And all of us on a good day can have that. The bad bosses are the following. They're basically the narcissist, which some days all of us are when we feel too full of ourselves. For sure. The micromanaging fiddler. Sometimes we do that once in a while, but hopefully not all the time. It's the big pitch. We micromanage everything, mm-hmm. right? The third is the Oscar contender, the person who sighs, slams the door, doesn't talk to you, yells, screams, right? Right. And then the double-crossing assassin, uh, which is basically someone who tells you one thing and then sells you out, either in a meeting or to a client. Why those are bad is those do the following things. Number one, those type of behaviors get people not wanting to work for these people and therefore not for the company. Mm. Because people tend not to leave companies, they tend to leave their bosses. So if you have these bad bosses, the first thing that begins to happen is you begin to have a talent problem. And as we talked about earlier, if you lose talent, you have a big problem. Right. The second is these people, these bosses, eventually make people behave badly. These type of bosses is what led Wells Fargo to open accounts 
fake accounts. Right. This kind of bosses, people who yell and scream and micromanage and double cross you if you speak the truth, probably led to Boeing 737 MAX problem. Mm. Right? right? And so what begins to happen is most companies don't realize there are only two ways to improve a company. Everything else is a press release. And those two are improve your talent or get new talent. Everything else is a press release. People talk about structuring and restructuring and new acquisitions. My stuff is stop it, people. Right. It's all about people. But people don't want to deal with people because people are messy. So they just want to deal with data because data doesn't talk back. But data mm. may actually mislead you. Got you. Got you. You know what? I'm, I'm glad you said that because that segues into a very interesting question that I wanted to ask you, because we're in the age of automation where we talk about, you know, job loss due to AI or robots or whatever the case may be. And, you know, you're talking about people who only focus on data. You know, they say, why did you make that decision? The data made me do it. The data told me to do it. Right. And so in this age of, you know, only focusing on data and only focusing on the numbers, is it possible that or is it fair to say that if you were to lose your job to the AI and robots and stuff like that and now have that soul in your business, is it fair to say that you could be a self-fulfilling prophecy by, you know, yes. by just focusing yeah. on data? Yeah. OK. It is. So, so the, uh, I, I will give you three very simple points, which sure. I think are irrefutable. So if, if you as a as a person has a boss that talks about this, we are a client who deals only with numbers. Tell them the following three. Number one is people choose with their hearts and they use numbers to justify what they just did. Mm -hmm. Okay? If that is not true, all of us would basically be driving Toyota Camrys, which are amazingly great cars. You shouldn't be trying to lust for a Lexus, a BMW, a Mercedes, or a Tesla. Right? Right. You should wear a Swatch watch and not, you know, want a more expensive Omega Rolex. Uh, the most expensive, the most valuable companies in the world wouldn't be companies built on design and desire, like Apple and LMBH. So the whole idea is if you're telling me the data tells you to tell things, every day we make decisions with our hearts versus our souls. Mm. You did not compute when you married your partner or found your partner. Right. So get over it. That's number one. Number two is the best machines combined with the best people always beat the best machines. So the best chess players with things like IBM's new computing stuff beats IBM's new computing stuff alone. So the future is basically about math plus meaning. It's not just about math. Right. But the third, and as importantly, if it's only numbers that make the decision, how about the fact that when the law firms basically decided to look at if there were problems with an NDA, they let 60 lawyers do it, and they found lawyers got about 95% of it right, and they took 30 minutes. The machines basically got 99% right and took six seconds. So if you're going to basically do stuff which is all math-based, you've already lost your job. Thank you very much. I hear that. And that is a great note to end on. We want to say thank you so much to Rashad Tabakawala for coming on the show, the author of Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. Rashad, Rashad thank you so much. We really appreciate your time on the show. Thank you for having me. All right, for sure. And always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, 
have an idea for a show topic or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.